The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Coffee and Cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Well, a pass deflected, intercepted by Nemhart. Look at the pressure he puts on. Look at this kid from the logo. Shireman, oh, from Rocky Rain for three. Well, they have a dry spell against UConn. They certainly did. Nemhart wants to break it. How about and this kid? Sticking it. Alexander to the corner. Nemhart. How about that? What a nice find by Alexander. Didn't take the shot. Now he does. How about that? And they backed off instead of attacking the ball. Uh, he throws it up the sideline. Alexander pulls up. Knocks down a three. 2.3 to go. It's not over yet. Inbound to Boom. He's fouled with 1.8. Xavier's 1-9. Nice nine. hands. He tipped it. And this ball is live and the game is over. Good morning, coffee and cream in the morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency. Damon Benny and Andrew Rogers live from the H&H Chevrolet stage at Hale Varsity Club. DB jam-packed day of sports yesterday, and I spent it all on my couch. Oh, good for you. Good, good. I did not spend a lick away from my couch. Good, good for you, man. So that it's good for you to get out this morning. Yes. Be joined by our listeners. Eight eight eight. I rejoined society today. Four eight seven six. Sometimes being at home is is uh, it's a very nice thing. And we, I made Chinese t- food, and I just sat in front of the TV and watched Creighton. Uh, uh, total schedule was in disarray yesterday. So we had a staff meeting at school at four thirty. Uh, Caleb was done with practice at five forty. Micah had practice at six. Did not get done till seven thirty. Uh, my mother-in-law is not feeling well, so she is at Bergen. So that's an issue. Uh, they had to s- stay the night, so prayers up. And I watched a lot of TV. I went down a couple rabbit holes last night. By the way, I forgot to say good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, good morning Shane. Uh, what up, Shane? Good morning. Um, I watched an equal amount of... I would say, of men's and women's basketball last night, which does not always happen. I would agree. But, but, I, got, but I, got, I got caught up. Um, I wanted to see if Izzy could go f- get to 1K, um, and I enjoy good shooting. Plus, I like uh, – I think Cotney's funny, so sometimes mm-hmm. I, I play him over what I'm actually watching on, on BTN Plus, which, by the way, I think my subscription's about to run out. I better check on that with BTN Plus. I feel like I asked you for that information a while back. Yeah. Never got it. Oh, well, I was probably – I did that to you Jacob once about another thing. football or something. And I forgot to get – but then I got it back to him later, and he's like, yeah, great, that game's over. <laughs> um, but, but it happened to me the night before, too, because I was double-dipping. I was watching college basketball, but then I was watching Platteview mm-hmm. and um, Ashton Greenwood, seeing if Platteview could end the 32-game win streak, which they did. So – 
it's just weird. We I didn't eat the way that that uh, I wanted to because I had like the meal prep thing going. But outside of that, it was pretty chill. Uh, big game tonight. So as as Gretna takes on Westside here locally, um, and just having a lot of other little conversations. But last night was 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 pretty chill. Zoe's on the men. She's been a little under the weather. She's a fighter, though. She's there is no. I don't feel good. I am not gonna do X, Y, and Z. She's gonna <laughs> power through it all. Yeah, yeah. She's she's a super trooper. I watched her try to do a headstand against a the head wall stand? last night for about four minutes. Not a handstand, a head. Head. Yeah. She can't correct. quite do hands yet, but 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 she just jumped straight to head. So as I was cringing, listening to her little heels hit the wall, hoping it wouldn't make marks because I'm OCD and I'm a mean parent. I just was admiring her grit, and <laughs> she did it for about I don't know how many seconds, and she still has those little uni- those little antenna braids because she has one mm-hmm. here and one here. Why she does that, I have no idea. But anyway, and she, she fell back on the floor, and she's still congested, and she goes, "Ugh, that was hard." <laughs> ma- ma- makes my head spinny, but I did it, and I just was like. That is that's your daughter. That is so. I mean, just hearing this little thud hit the wall every two seconds. So when during you say the game. making marks on the wall, like like scuff marks, or actually making a dent in the drywall. Scu- scuff marks. <laughs> okay. I could just hear a little heels going, <laughs> and she was bound and determined. Then her feet would hit the floor, and then she'd start again. I was like, hey, let's watch. Let's watch a game. There's this there's this nice big TV that, that you can watch, and and you know if she'd have watched the first half with me. She'd have felt pretty good about Creighton, although I was a little nervous when Xavier cut the lead to one. I didn't. I felt like Creighton controlled the last five minutes, and I was thinking, "Oh shoot, they only have a one-point lead." But up until last night, Creighton was eight and zero when leading mm-hmm. at the half, and seven and zero oh and seven when trailing at the half. So I felt like, "Oh okay, we'll be good." No. Then the guy that we talked about yesterday with Joel Lorenzi, because I really like him because he is a crafty guard. Then boom, went, boom. then boom went the dynamite. Like, I mean, he basically took over the making plays, getting to his spots on the floor, took the tail end of that game. Great over. players do that, though. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Nunji kind of cooled down. Fremantle was. Which I forgot he played for Xavier for a half. Yeah, second. how old is he? <laughs> Because he came over from I was Iowa. I was elated when he got in foul trouble, and I thought I didn't have to hear about him anymore. Right. But he just he made all the little plays in Creighton. Didn't drew down it. And listen, we it, it was funny. We were having this. We were in a pretty intense staff meeting because Coach Lamonti stays on the gas, right? And he's talking about elevating and getting three percent better, and it's very detailed on what like we like a want, credit card getting three percent back. What we want to do in the off season, which I admire, because I mean it's just how he is. Like he 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 stays intense, and and we were trying to figure out this. The pl- we're working on the plan for the summer, right? What sh- mm-hmm. what to do? Team camp, our own camp, locker room camp, whatever. So we're going through all these scenarios, and he says, you know what? He says, we can talk about culture, we can talk about, you know, brotherhood, we can talk about family. He says, but at the 
at the end of the day, let's remember we have to stay healthy. If X doesn't play in the state championship game, we probably don't win. If if we're if X doesn't play and you know and their guy didn't play and uh, like he goes, so we need to stay healthy. This is he's just trying to get us on mm-hmm. the plan. And it immediately it immediately made me think of last night. You can have all these X's and O's. You can have game plans. You can have hey, I want to ice ball screens. Hey, on that pin down, this is the action I want. But it's a make-or-miss league, and big-shot takers and big-shot makers in those kinds of games absolutely matter. And there were like six plays in a back-and-forth game like that that I felt like made the game. Creighton's inability to rebound the basketball on on two defensive possessions. Frederick King uh, defensively, a little loss, which got it to 71-70. And then I said this at, uh, at the, full disclosure, right? I said this during the Texas loss. I said, there's something about Creighton that bugs me when games get close when the ball gets, and the ball gets sticky. I felt like the ball got sticky last night in crunch time. Right. It wasn't like what happened in the last five minutes. You know, for me, I saw a lot of standing around. Like off, just the watching off-ball movement just wasn't there, and it, it wasn't the whole game by any means. But they just got caught standing and watching. Watching's a great word in crunch time. Yeah, because it, it, take for the example when Shireman gets the ball down two. And My man in, hit one from the logo though. I oh, was yeah. like, <laughs> doesn't shock me. Hey. If it was football, I would have rewound because that's why people re- – like my family hates watching games with me, right? I'm rewinding, pausing, hey, did I'm you circling, see that? I'm drawing. His shoe was untied. Right, and it's something dumb. Like, God, did you see that pin down when he pulled and kicked? And nobody else cares about that. But stuff like – I wanted to rewind it, but I was just like, damn. Nah, but, yeah, just take, for example, that play when Shireman's backing down his defender in the paint, not finding his move to the rim, yeah. right? He can't turn around. All four other guys on the floor are just watching – to see if he makes the shot. Instead of, hey, my guy's in trouble. How about I you know, do, do a little jab, try to get open, or at least move around, cause a stir, get my defender maybe a little bit off me, and then I can do a turnaround fade. Yeah. But instead, he's trying to force up a shot, loses the ball entirely, and then there goes Xavier the other way. That was one thing that I noticed. The, the second thing, um, and this is something that I, after the game, I was doing a a lot of reflection along with a lot of other people on social media. And if you think about it, in a game where Creighton shoots as well as they did, you wouldn't expect them to lose. We've kind of been saying that this year. A lot of shots went up in this game. Shireman ended with 25. Nemhard came in second with 17. And despite his nice finish in the box score, he also caused some mixed reactions on social Who, media. Who's he? Nemhard. Okay, I agree. And I, I absolutely agree. And it's because of how many shots he took and the decision-making wasn't perfect by him in this game. But go back and look at his box score one more time and then go back and watch the game. That you'll pinpoint the plays where you're like, Ooh, I, maybe we should have extended that possession a little bit. Maybe we should have dished that ball. Um, I, I, I get it, right? It's like when, when he's hitting a pull-up contested mm-hmm. jumper, you're like, ooh. That's nice. Quells the scoring here for a little bit because that could potentially – And he made been, some big shots. That could have potentially – that 
that killed a little bit of run for Xavier. But then it's like it's a one-possession game, and you're like, ooh, not the shot mm-hmm. that we wanted, right? So, right. And it's I, because he took 17 shots when he could have made – another play being the point guard you'd like to see more but he also had like what seven assists during the night he made three of seven from downtown like he made shots when it mattered too so I don't want to sit here and knock him for playing a decent game so it's weird he's kind of the focal point and we'll talk to Matt DeMarinas at 730 and kind of get his thoughts because you're not in that game without him and it's not just a listen plenty of Wish we could have. I'm sure Arthur Coloma wishes there there was a stretch of about a two or three play sequence where I feel like he wishes he could have mm-hmm. done something different. If Creighton rebounds the basketball defensively down the stretch, we may not even have to have this conversation. Right. But extending those two possessions from about the five minute mark to just under the three minute mark were absolute killers. When Creighton went to when they went to the under four timeout. And and Xavier had just gotten the offensive rebound, and they took the timeout, and then got the possession. I was just like, "Oh boy, this may be a long night," because that pushed it to seven. And you're thinking, eh, "They're in trouble." And you know they made the late run, but in a game like that, so it, I go back and forth. You're not in that position without some of those key plays, but you're in that position because you aren't mm-hmm. making some of those key plays. And Creighton has got to find a way. At first glance, how many points did the bench have last night? Um, I think Farabello only had one three, right? That's it. Just three points from the bench. But, 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 but. For all the talk, we mm-hmm. for all the 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 Nimhart because he was it was a lightning rod on social media last night, and I feel bad because, I mean, I said at the pre I said in the preseason, I actually quietly think for pound for pound, he's maybe their most athletic player. Um, like, no I didn't have a problem, with, and I say pound for pound with most of his shot selection in the first half, and the second half is where you can really start to say, like, And it's really only about a five- or six-play sequence. I mean, that's kind of what I was gathering mm-hmm. this morning. It's like you're looking at it. Was it from, like, the 13-minute mark to, like, to the about six minute mark? mark. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, ugh. But every time they got it to five, six, or seven – Got back down to mm-hmm. one, and then they eventually lost right. the lead. At and they were always seven. one shot away. He would get them one shot w- away from either taking the lead or tying the ball game. I want to ask Maddie what happened, what he thinks happened on the after the timeout of the offensive rebound, and Call gets the bad matchup with Jones, and Jones gets the little easy, the little yeah, you know, he's just one on one, and was just a defensive lapse, uh, like I. Like, that was a backbreaker because it was such an easy basket after you had given up the offensive rebound and you're under the four and you know it's crunch time. But I just – I don't think Creighton wants to be in a deal, obviously, where you're giving up 90 points. And I feel like – I feel like maybe I was a little premature when I said in the preseason – now, granted, it's the preseason. And we're talking about coaching losses and defensive prowess and – Moving on to West Lafayette and and defensive scout, but I felt like Creighton on paper had the potential to be a, a good 
defensive-minded basketball team. And I get it, man. It's not like people say, ooh, Coach Mack and great well, defense. Normally teams in the Big East and aren't putting up co- points co- co- like this. Coach Mack and, and, and great defense. But their defensive efficiency last year was fantastic. It was tops in the Big East. Um, you, you get a Big East defensive player of the year. And, and I get it. The pushback with Sonogo and Sonogo worked out. And boy, this, did Marquette this, play well yesterday. Worked out this weekend. I, so I, I think my tweet may age well. I think one, it will, too. It's one of the few that may age well. Cause, <laughs> and it was early, right? right. I said, uh, I, think think Marquette, I think Marquette's going to be a, a, a problem in, in the Big East. And Mar- what Marquette's doing is they're holding serve at home. Right? So, and I, and I think that you have to be able to do that. But, Creighton, some of those defensive lapses where they couldn't get a stop. Now, you've got to remember, there was a stretch last night where the Musketeers made six straight baskets in crunch time late in the second half. Like that... You want to win games on the road? I can hear Alvin Mitchell saying it now. Fellas, we got to get stops. And he does this clap, and it's like. But I'm just telling you, I laugh. And, it used, and you know, he, he played for Hug for a year at, at Cincy uh, after leaving Nebraska. And so I always used to think, like, for a guy, it, this is way pre-you, but, but Fida, Alvin, was uh, he was a bucket getter. Right out of Burke when he went to Nebraska and whatever, he always shot the ball. Like he's an offensive-minded guy. But I watch him coach because he's got a great program. Right, he coaches a really good AAU summer program. His guys guard. You cannot play mm-hmm. without guarding. I called yesterday. I stepped out of one of the coaches' meetings. He's asking me about a a little guy that I'm familiar with at the middle school level, and he says, "Hey, you know, talk to me about this kid, this kid, and this kid, or this kid." And I said, "Oh, you know." At the very end of everything I said, can he defend? And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, but I say all that to say in games like that, you've got to be able to get right. some stops mm-hmm. to stop the bleeding. KU Oklahoma the other night, that came down to key stops to get Kansas back in right. that game. They got stops. Like, I just think. It also helped that they were better conditioned to be in that moment than Oklahoma yeah, probably. Was. I mean. Bet, 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 better team. I, right. and I, I, wow, the verdict's still out about – last year I was all in on KU when I, I didn't think it was popular to be so – Still trying to understand who they are. I, I don't have a good handle mm-hmm. on KU this year, right. but I don't want to get too far away from that. But it, I, I just felt like they just couldn't get any key stops. And then offensively, you know, I'm happy uh, the Nemhard conversation popped up on social media because – and this is probably something people have been thinking about for a while. And I don't. I don't At like, least me. So there's two guys that I've had this conversation with: Matt D. Marinas, mm-hmm. Ravi Lula. Right, and you know it's not even just Nemhard for me. It's it it branched off to be something bigger for me. And the reason I say people have probably already thought about this uh, because my logic here is pretty pretty easy to get to. Um, so the problem I was pinpointing isn't that Nemhard's the problem. But that there's a consistency problem with the three sophomores on the floor. Mm. That's, what, that's where I think I'm at right now. What I assess with this team is I see issues with Kaluma's game. I see issues with consistency with Alexander's game. Like, yes, we saw him put up 30-plus points. Boy, he's the an enigma night. wrapped up in a riddle, isn't he? But I still think he, he's, he's hard to dissect. And then Nemhard, too. There, there are all, those three guys right there have shown flashes of brilliance. Yeah. But... They've also shown signs of youth, and that's hindered Creighton more times than not. I still can't get over how they only had three points off the bench in terms of scoring in a game where you scored 87 as a team. 
that's them, though. Like, that's their identity. Uh, All season long, it hasn't been bench points. No, I know. It's yeah. been the starters doing everything. Yeah. And it is, is – okay, so hear me, hear me out here. Is there any let's, – let's just say logic behind taking a starter right now, putting him on the bench – Bringing in a Sharif Mitchell, a Francisco Farabello, instead to start the game and then bring a guy off the bench to get that type Offense of production, to get that spark. I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't see it. I know that was something else that was thrown around too. But didn't you get the sense, and I'm not just saying this because he's family, but because I understand, and he understands, and his dad tells him, listen, man, you want to stay on the floor, you've got to be more efficient offensively. But I get there are these times where I want – like I wanted Sharif to guard Boom more because the limited times where he was the on-ball defender, he made it tough, knocked a couple of balls away. I'll tell you what, scrim- speed does a lot when you're playing and, and, defense. You may and, not have to be like and the Boom best. Boom is just so stinking crafty, mm-hmm. right? He's really creative. He, you know, he, he's a little bit quicker mm-hmm. version of like a Mark Jackson where it's right. not any you don't have to one read him, thing. You don't have to read him well, but speed can make up for a he, lot, and that's what Reef has. And and so I just was like, gosh, if we could just harass Boom to just kind of get him out of this little flow because I felt like offensively, man, Xavier was getting in a rhythm. And I just wondered what, you know, Coach Max probably thinking, okay, there's this trade-off offense for defense. If we do this and we slow them down, can we keep up off it? Like, I'm, all these things are going through, uh, you know, a coach's head real time. So, man, I, this, this one, this season is at, is it too soon to say crossroads? This week is a bear if you're a Jays fan. It's a tough week. You knew that coming in. <laughs> you can't in. say it any, any other way. <laughs> tough week. Our poll question of the day uh, actually goes back to a name that popped up on social media last night in regards very, to very happy. Nebraska football. Walter Rouse chooses Nebraska over Iowa. Was it Oklahoma? Was that the other one? Iowa. And Iowa. It doesn't matter. I think, I, think it really came, I, I think it came down to OU and Nebraska, the way it sounds. So the poll question of the day, which actually got DB to shake his head at me this morning, which is always a win. Yep. If Walter Rouse picked up a fumble and ran it for a score, what would the catchphrase be? I sat next to DB this morning without a poll question in mind. Actually, I did have one, but it wasn't very good. And I thought, what would DB say on the call? What could I have DB say? So here are the catchphrases I came up with. We'll see if he has any other ones. I don't. Take it to the Rouse. Let's have a Rouse party. Like kid and play. Or the Rouse always wins. Oh, we will talk to Brian Edwards today. The Rouse does always usually win. <laughs> Isn't do. that why they have all those they buffets? Do. Those are nice the three places. I came up with. If you have a better one, <laughs> head to social media. That's, go that's, a, that's a big get. Vote at H Varsity Radio and then add yours in the comments. I, I'd love to hear it. But huge get, yes. And we'll talk about that more at, at about 745. As DB said, Matt DeMarinas is coming up next. And then at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, we'll speak to Mike Schaefer. We'll then talk to Mike Tannier. And then we will talk to Brian Edwards to close out the show. So lots to get to, whether that's sports betting, NFL, Husker recruiting, Husker football, 
plenty still to get to. And we'll also hit up uh, uh, Matt DeMarinas a little bit on Creighton women's basketball last yeah. night, too, because they had a S- very fun showing. S- sent a message. I, d- I don't know if they could miss from three in that game, Did but you, I do, do know you, Seton do you, Hall could miss. They went 0 for 12. Do you know Flan real well? Uh, I know. I he is – so I just – I love watching him because I know him. I'm not kidding you. And there's a lot of great coaches, right? And then you're – I'm sorry. He is so good-natured. I would – I man, almost forgot your, your girl went for 300 last night. Yeah, but why is she my girl? Wasn't she your neighbor? Yeah, kind of. That's, that's why. Kind of. Yeah. Coach, you talking about Coach Williams? Yes. Yes, that's what I'm talking When she was my neighbor, it was Gusso. <laughs> yeah, she's fantastic, too. Hey, how, how sharp-dressed is she? Always. She don't play. Matt DeMarinas next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. Hey, back with you on Hale Varsity Radio. It's Coffee and Cream in the Morning alongside Damon Benning, Andrew Rogers, powered by Currency, live from the H&H Chevrolet stage at Hale Varsity Club. We just got done talking a little Creighton basketball, and how about we continue that conversation, maybe get some of our questions answered. He dropped from, off. I'll get him again. Oh, well. <laughs> so, since he can't hear me. It's Matt uh, Marinas. Yeah, since he can't hear me, uh, you have some uh, making up to do because – this is one of those. Remember, I told you there's always people that I think secretly you like more than they like you. I think I like Matt DeMarinas significantly more <laughs> than he probably <laughs> actually likes me. He's a great guy. So, so, did you direct that to me though? Like, I have some making up to do. Like, do I have to like you more than you like me? No, I just <laughs> was giving you context because I think sometimes people are like, "Why do you even like me? I don't really vibe with you." Right? I just don't want you to be that guy. Fair, fair. fair. <laughs> so I'm Team D Marinas. And he's here now. Matt, good morning. How are you? Hello. Matty. <laughs> What's up, buddy? I was, I was giving a few accolades, so I was hoping you didn't hear not one bit of that. So how are you this morning? I'm okay. How are you? Uh, you know. Wait, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> What show am I on? He's well, that big. So here's oh, the oh, no, he, here, here's the deal. He sounds so crisp and clear now. We had him on early, and I was like, yeah, he's never coming back. This guy does his own podcast. He's like, that sound quality sucks. <laughs> Maddie, I'm glad you hung in there, my guy. Hi. So bittersweet, you, you watch, you watch mm-hmm. Coach Flan and that team go wild, and you had to ride the ebb and flow of the guys game, man. Mixed emotions for white and blue review, huh? All right, I'm not going to lie to you right here. I think you might have the wrong number. <laughs> this is not Matt DeMarinas? <laughs> no, this is Trent. Tra- oh, Trent. 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 <laughs> this is amazing. Wow, wait, wait, we should maybe wait, play. Wait, we wait, should, wait. No, wait, we wait, should wait, play wait. a game with Trent. This is Trent. <laughs> this is play. Trent from yesterday. I, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, can we bounce back and win today? <laughs> 
Trent, Trent, I'm hanging up hey, on you. No, 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 no. Text funny, me later. Funny story about yeah, Trent. Okay. Funny story about Trent. He's an Illinois fan. That is tough. Yeah, ILL, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's oh, an fan. We can't talk at, anymore, Trent. He was at the Husker game wearing an Illinois sweatshirt, probably one of 20,000. All right, I'm secretly air dapping. Trent, have a good day, man. We'll call Maddie. Thank you. You guys have Trent, a good day. This right. is the best. This is the best thing that happened. Trent's a buddy of mine. Yeah. Like he's a good friend of mine. Shane might be the worst person I've he, ever been he around. He called it the exact same time I went to push the button. He wa- He. You yeah, know what he was going to do? Great. He was going to give you a hard time about great. what a terrible hey, game player oh you are. Go with Matt goodness. now. Oh. It should be Matt. Oh, fuck. Hey, D. Hey, Marinas is probably hey, like, hey, I'm not talking about hey, anything is now. This, is this Matt D. Marinas? Yes, <laughs> can I Can I see a birth certificate or yeah. something? Yeah, let's bring you up on screen. Maddie, how are you? I don't have a problem. But, yeah. What happened there? Shane, <laughs> Shane is incompetent. I just love how, how Trent went along with it for a minute and a half. Matt, we, we totally called the wrong guy. <laughs> oh, nice. How's that go? Well, it's oh, good. Man. An Illinois fan. I was talking to an Illinois fan about White and Blue Review, so that was pretty sweet. How about that? Do you know what it is? <laughs> no, he's a, he's a hoops head too. He gets it. He gets it. Was bittersweet for you watching the women do what they do, and then having to kind of ride the ebb and flow of of the guys' game last night, Maddie. Uh, it's all kind of just like I, the women tipped off right at zero, so like it was kind of rushed in my mind. I got about thirty minutes left. Of this. Just a bit crazy with it. Hey, Matt, as we looked at the guys game in particular, uh, you saw Shireman put up 25, and then Nemhard came in a close second with 17. But a lot of criticism that he took on social media last night was the amount of shots that he took in that game and, and people pinpointing his decision-making at points. What would you have liked to see more of out of him in that game rather than just possibly chucking from about the 13-minute mark to that six-minute mark in the second half? Yeah, I think when you – I think the shot total number is kind of stands out in a lot of people's minds, especially when you look at the number of shots like Trey Alexander and Ryan Kaufman took. You know, you look how, how efficient those guys were, but they're both sitting at about eight shots and them at 17. Kind of stands out to a little bit. I guess it's easy to pick apart that number and say that needs to come down. Others need to shoot more or get more looks. Honestly, it just felt like, and I rewatched it again last night and picked apart a few possessions where I watched about three or four times just to kind of see what went down there. And play. I think about they were, they were up six at about the nine minute mark of the second half. Right? Yep. And at that point, they're up 34 24 in the paint. And they only scored four paint points after that, and it just felt like they never—they just got away from what was helping them be successful and helping them lead that game. And has Xavier on the back foot a little bit? They just, for whatever reason, they hit a little bit of a wall. I think the energy level dropped, I think the fatigue set in. Those starters had a lot of heavy minutes, um, and you know, for whatever reason, they were just stopping those drives a little bit shorter. They weren't getting to the paint. They weren't um, pushing them all the way to the rim. They were settling for a little bit more of that mid-range area, and not only the mid-range area, but longer, too, than they had been taking in the first half. Those floaters were Ugh. a little bit longer. Turnaround jumpers were a little bit longer. When you're on tired legs, those things are harder to 
you know, get all the way to the rim and get those lucky bounces. And it just felt like they, they hit a little bit of a wall energy-wise and it affected how hard they were pushing um, on the offensive end because they were having a lot of success just picking bigger apart, just driving right down the teeth of it, setting middle ball screens, driving scenes, getting all the way to the rim. There wasn't much resistance on Xavier's part of that. Um, whether it was from the guards or from call center, and it just felt like they got away from that, and that's kind of what allowed the game to snowball. Because during that run, where Xavier hit them 16 to three and flipped the game, you know, all of Creighton's points in that sequence came, um, you know, a little high low from Baylor to call center for a yep. dunk, and then and then two trips to the free throw line where they went one for four. That was where the three points, and all of those came when they got the ball into the teeth of defense at the rim, maybe drew fouls or, or got a dunk. So, you know, that was the key to success last night, and it was laid out early in the game, and it just got away from that Matt, the stretch, and that's what happened. Maddie, you're super smart, and that's why I was looking forward to you and, and JP's podcast. How do you reconcile in your head, oh, I'm just not sure what kind of team this is shooting the basketball, and it's a team that shot 42 42- – 43% last night from three. They shot 50% from the floor, but they give up 90. How do you reconcile that in your head versus what we think ails Creighton versus, man, maybe we've been looking at the wrong thing all along. Anomaly in how efficient Xavier was because they only played seven guys for all Creighton's 12 mm-hmm. minutes of the bench. How do you reconcile that in your head? Well, you know, I mean, we saw the threads that you know, we were all going through in terms of the mat- lighting up the matchups for this thing. This is the one, in my opinion, that I feel like is the most problematic matchup for Creighton, even more so than UConn or Marquette or Providence, what have you. I think the we saw last year, especially that double big lineup, what it, what it was able to do to cause problems because, you know, wherever you put Kalkbrenner, you know, if, if a coach is, you know, aware enough, they just invert the matchup, right? If he's on Fremantle, then... Nunji goes to work. Yeah, Nunji goes to the three-point line, and he can create some problems. If they put him on Nunji, Fremantle can go to the three-point line, get in the ball screens, create some problems with the you know, with the four-man there. So it's really just kind of a pick-your-poison situation. And honestly, that's kind of what Greg McDermott said in the post-game press conference last night when he was asked by Xavier's press corps what the idea was behind the matchup of putting... Culpener on Fremantle and putting Kaluma on Nunji was basically a coin toss because there's give and take in both facets, right? And you saw earlier with the Arizona matchup, the other matchup this season where Creighton had to deal with a double big lineup, um, and you saw how potent Arizona's offense was in picking that apart. So the fact that Xavier hung 90 last night isn't something that surprises me because I thought that was going to be a really tricky matchup defensively for Creighton because really after Culpener. You know, Kaluma six seven, Baylor six six. Like you're basically, you're essentially four guards slash wings and Kaufman on the floor with your best lineup, right? The difference in the game when you break it really down is Creighton starting five outplayed Xavier starting fives. It was the Jerome Hunter off the bench. He made, he made a three. He made a three, Maddie. <laughs> like he, he stuck a, it was like the first three he made yeah. this century. He stuck a three. He had a turnaround jumper up one leg and banked home over Kalkbrenner. It's like that dude was in a zone that he hasn't been in for years plus, right, going back to the Indiana days. And it's just like that was just enough to push them over the hump when you look at production because 
Creighton's fly was up to the past. It just, you know, I think there's some, there are going to be some lapses on film where they lost Sule Bloom off a baseline out of bounds. Yeah. Back and yep. Right. yep. Allowed him to get loose and create points off 50 50 balls. They're going to want those back because, for the most part, and especially the first 18 minutes of the game, they shut him down. Trail is going to do a really good job of, I think he was one for five for the first 18 minutes. He wasn't really a factor. And then, you know, you lose him off a screen and he hits a three and then he gets a little hustle point in the paint and all of a sudden he's cooking now. And it just felt like uh, that it just, it all started to snowball. I think, you know, from an energy level standpoint, it looked like they just hit a wall at the nine minute mark of the second half. And then you factor in the things that Jerome Hunter was able to do off the bench versus what Creighton didn't get really off their bench. And it just, you know, it makes a difference in the end. It all adds up. Matt, we appreciate your time this morning. Uh, man, have a great day. Yeah, you guys bet. No problem. Thank you, buddy. Up next, some Husker football talk here on Coffee and Cream. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. You guys know that when I walk through the stadium, I see the words day by day. That's not just... A prayer is not just something that's a way of life. It's about getting up every single day and trying to be great at what you do. So I see, I see young people in high school over here. I see one of the best achievers in college football right here. No matter who we are or where we are, life is about just waking up every day and just trying to get just a little bit better. So I look forward to being here every year. And I look forward to giving out uh, the Nebraska Senior Awards next year with a bunch of guys that I know. But most importantly, I look forward to someday coming here in, in a time real soon and watching one of our Cornhuskers do what you did, Olu, and come up here uh, represent Nebraska with an Allen Trophy. So thank you guys very much. He's somebody that makes you want to believe. That's Matt Rule from his initial press conference when arriving at Lincoln Coffee and Cream in the morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency, live from the H&H Chevrolet stage at Hale Varsity Club. It's Damon Benning, Andrew Rogers, Shane Schillerberg on the board doing work, and uh, Nebraska did some work yesterday by grabbing Walter Rouse in the portal, one of the premier prospects left available at that position. We were talking to Brandon Vogel last night, or yesterday morning, last night, excuse me, where he says offensive linemen are gold. In the portal, they're gold. And Nebraska struck gold Mm -hmm. by being able to bring in a guy like him, pair him up with Ben Scott and the rest of the returning veterans on that line. And as you said yesterday, DB, there's some depth now. Yeah. It's it's, and I don't even know what got me on it a couple three weeks ago. But I just I started looking at the scholarship distribution. I pitted against what I heard Coach Rule say that, you know, my sphere of influence. It's a lot of my buddies, old offensive linemen. Even if they're not old offensive linemen, they're or they're skill guys, and they think about offensive line. And he point blank said, "Hey, listen, 
we're going to have a good offensive line next year. And like, what? Hey, we're going to play in such a way that gives those guys an identity so they can play well. You're like, what? Not hey, based on what we saw. Hey, we're bringing back Donovan Rayola. Everybody's like, what? Like, he does. <laughs> and I, I said this three weeks ago. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> whether he, whether he stri- hits it out of the ballpark or he strikes out, I'm just I'm telling everybody that's listening, this is not a coach that leaves anything to chance. He is eerily thorough in terms of what he does, how he thinks. It's it's like a healthy paranoia, which is really just taking self-inventory that allows him to flourish. So when he's talking about the offensive line, and I'm looking at the numbers, I start pitting it against what I hear. I look at who's on paper. I look at how old they are. I look at their experience. And then I got to ask the guys, hey, I get the sense Coach Rayola is pretty popular with you guys. Yeah, absolutely, DB. They say coach because some of them know me as a coach when they were kids. But absolutely, yeah, like this is our guy. And it's like they're starting. You look at the stable, and they officially have nine to play five nine guys to play five spots i don't think i'm exaggerating am i exaggerating no i are you i don't, I don't are think you so including the recruits no that they brought in so let's see if i can do this off the top of the melon let's go you got ben scott mm-hmm. rouse yep corcoran yep ben hart yep piper mm-hmm. norelli mm-hmm Latovsky. Yep. Prohaska. And one more. Uh, Probably the more basic name, the one that you don't have to look up for the pronunciation guide. I'm missing one. Hunter Anthony. Yeah, and I don't – okay, that's nine. That's nine. I got a safe eight. Mm -hmm. I got a safe eight. And maybe this will be the year for Anthony, who's a guy that didn't overwhelm me with his talent – but he played through the whistle. So maybe with a little, a few more tweaks, I don't question Hunter Anthony's toughness. So that, I, that's, that's a good nine for me. Because it wasn't his athleticism that wild. I, mean, I thought he was kind of a nasty guy. I remember I was talking with Jay Moore, just kind of off topic one time. And he's a D-line. Jay, Jay's a D-lineman. And, and Jay's hard to please. I, I think he's, he's, he's really good at his craft. He was drafted by the Niners, former Husker. We're just talking about technique and – we just on a sidebar chatter, we were like, is it Hunter Anthony plays through the whistle? I don't know how sustainable that is in terms of like, you know, pivot foot or the right step mm-hmm. or forty five degrees or good punch or good feet, but he has a little nasty to him. So if you can teach the rest and you don't have to manufacture any heart, they 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 let's they have nine to play five. That doesn't sound right. Just a year removed from when the fan base and rightfully so were looking a little sideways at offensive line development. And before you say it, I already know. Yeah, but Corcoran and Ben Hart have to play better, right? Bryce Ben Hart has become the popular whipping boy for Nebraska fans, and he knows that he's earned it. But here's the deal. If you start with a certain baseline level of talent, 
and you have it's up to coaches to draw the rest out, then I'm going to leave it open for optimism. The coach rule who loves to get involved with offensive line, who loves to coach his coaches, that loves continuity, that likes consistency, that year two with the same offensive line coach and a well-defined scheme is advantageous to player development. That's not far-fetched. I don't think I have to be a homer. I don't even like Kool-Aid, so I'm not drinking Kool-Aid. I think that's part of the deal. On YouTube, you can uh, chime in to the show. You can also call in 888-638-4876, and Will Fiddle uh, furthers your point here and asks a question because he says it's not playing through the whistle of talent. When does mental talent exceed physical talent? Uh, good question, good question. So, like, as a coach, and I think most coaches are like this that are confident, I think – if you give me toughness and want to, I'll teach you the rest. Be, and I'll take that before I'll take a really good technician or a really physically gifted guy that I don't think is very tough. So is toughness a talent? Probably not. But I do think it's a skill. Because I think you can... You can't teach it, but you can develop it. You can't invent toughness. It has to kind of be there already, and you bring it out. Toughness is, is, is kind of set in from other Just my opinion. 88863. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great debate. Like, if I talk right. to Verz, and he almost doesn't want anything to do with you if you can't be tough. Right, because I think he'll think the rest is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. You talk to some other guys, well, listen, if the footwork is good and the hand placement is right and your eyes are in the right place, we can work around that. It's just varying degrees. I've seen uber-talented guys that aren't very tough, and right. I've seen some pretty tough guys that aren't very talented. Now, at the end of the day, you need a little bit of both, right? You have to, you have, to have some right. guys that can make plays. Like if I got a speed rusher, and I'm Bryce Benhart. I have to be able to bend. I, I have to be able to. I have to be able to get my ass in, at a 90 degree angle with with my knee bend, and and be able to use right. my hands and punch. If I'm Turner Corcoran, I have to have the ability to get to second level after I post. If I, you know, but you're right. I, you can teach that. Like you can in a in a scouting report, you can say like, hey, this is what we're focusing on this correct. week. Correct. And you know, you may get beat once or twice, but think about the times after that. Like if you're if you're in a similar situation, say week one, you're playing X team, and then by week seven, you're playing Iowa, who does something very similar. By the time they get to Iowa, things will be better. Things will be crisper. Yeah. Because you 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 learn through failure. Yeah, and if Van Ness and, and Campbell and some of these guys are just tougher than you, it, there's not much you can do about that. Like, like I watch Benton from Wisconsin along that interior line. You'd also have to have, like, the desire to want to learn. That's a, that was a tough guy, right? And for as technically sound as, as Trent Hickson was, Benton was a handful just because he was relentless. So there's always the, the, this kind of – this kind of give and take when it comes to talent and toughness. But with Rouse, he's a really good technician. We spent some time, and, and we, some members of the family spent some time in Palo Alto, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, off campus, had an invite out there, and we watched the way that 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 they teach and what it is in terms of protocol. And for them, that was a program, and they're since looking for a, a transition in coaching. Just speaks to the analogy. Very good fundamentally, technique wise. Used to be a really good place to crank out pro talent, but what didn't? What were they missing? Talent. They had the toughness. They had the teaching. They just didn't have the talent, which ultimately right. is why Stanford is moving in a new direction. So there, there's a there's a blending of both if you want to have success at a high level. But hopefully Rouse, who was high on a lot of folks' list, listen, say what you want about Iowa. You can hate on Iowa all you want to. One thing you can't really complain about is, number one, their development and how they play along the interior. Now, the offensive line has suffered a little bit. This was arguably the, the worst offensive line they had in the past 15 years, I think, under Coach Ferentz. But you cannot disagree with the fact that they know how to handle offensive line. Oklahoma, good offensive line play, right? Really good offensive line play. They know what they're looking for. So to come down with a trio and win that battle – I'll take it, especially if I was in that discussion as a benchmark. And Rouse said himself, according to my man Brian Munson, there's an embarrassment of riches at Nebraska compared to where he was. And I talked about coaching out of that sense of entitlement. Rouse has a lot going on upstairs. He's a processor. He is a Stanford guy. Remember that. We'll talk more with Mike Schaefer next. Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Hey, back with you at the top of the hour. It's coffee and cream in the morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency. He's Damon Benning. I'm Andrew Rogers. We are live from the H&H Chevrolet stage at Hale Varsity Club, and we appreciate you joining us. 590 ESPN Omaha, 1480 ESPN Lincoln, live on Twitter, live on YouTube, wherever you get us. Thanks for joining us, and... Now, I'd like to bring in Mike Schaefer. Mike Schaefer is one of the best when it comes to Nebraska football and recruiting. Works for 24-7 Sports. Mike, good morning. Morning, guys. How's it going? Hey, good, good. We uh, just got done talking about offensive line play and the addition of Walter Rouse, which uh, we think is a huge get for the program. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. It it gives you a, a big offensive lineman that has played a ton of snaps to throw into the mix. And I think that'll be uh, I think it'll be helpful for going forward. Uh, Mike, let me ask you something. I, I, and I don't want to get caught up in being a prisoner of the moment or hyperbole or anything like that, but on paper, it looks like Nebraska could have nine guys to play five spots along the offensive line. Rouse, Scott, Norelli. Corcoran, Benhart, Piper, Prohaska, Latovsky, and Hunter Anthony. Do you remember the last time you said out loud that Nebraska has nine for five? Or am I or, or am I overstating that? Do you do you say are you like DB? You're crazy. It seems like nine for five. I think they have a ton of options that if they want to deploy those, especially on the interior. That's why getting a guy like Rouse has a little more value than if you've got Pazuka, because I think Rouse gives you a strong point at an area where you were weakest with tackle. 
So I, I think because of that, the offensive line depth, you just have a lot of guys that could end up hard. And I think that's kind of where, you know, Nebraska has its on that line right now. When you look at a guy like Teddy Paraska, who I think we all think has a ton of upside, and you remember I was one of those guys in the media, I was guarding against bringing him back too soon. Now, it turns out his postseason ending or his season ending surgery wasn't on a knee, but I do think the rest gave him a chance to get his body fully healthy. Is he the one guy, or am I reading into it, that I think is the true left tackle? I think that more than even just getting physically healthy, that break allowed him to get mentally healthy. At 100%. I mean, you know, right before he went out, he had that Dr. Cody game, and he's talking about how it took him to even mentally be sharp. Yep. And I, I just don't think that he was himself those first couple games of the season. And I think that injury might be a blessing in terms of just allowing him to mentally get where he needs to be. Um, so I, I think that's a big thing. I think he's your left tackle most of the time, but you're talking about bringing in a guy like Rouse, who I doubt is changing positions. Mm. So maybe Prohaska gets a year to learn behind him, or he's your right tackle for a year and he learns – you know, he learns playing both sides. And he talked about that last year. He felt there was value in those unbalanced lines learning how to play on the right side. Are you more excited about the development late of Ethan Piper progressively getting better or the return potentially of Nuelli? Probably Nuelli. Um, you know, they, they looked pretty good when it was him and, and Prohaska for the Northwestern game. But I, I also just felt like there was times in 2021 where he was Nebraska's most visibly dominant lineman. Um, whether that grades out over a whole season, I don't know. But I, I'm certainly interested in his return. We're talking to Mike Schaefer, Mike J. Schaefer on Twitter. Mike, take this conversation one step further. What does the formation up front do for what the offense and Marcus Satterfield want to accomplish this coming year? Well, it gives them options, right? Um, you know, if they, if they have A.J. Allen up and rolling and they can just straight run on people, I think that that allows them to um, do more in the ring game. If they aren't able to get that kind of push up front but they can protect with the quarterback, I mean, that, that kind of helps. I, I just think having a strong foundation up front gives you more options for how to call a football game every single time. And, and I don't know any offensive coordinator would disagree with that. Hey, Shafe, let me ask you something. We've been trying to, like – get inside this deal and, and, you know, Casey Thompson and Sims and Smothers and Purdy and, and Harburg and Torres. And listen, I, spring ball has yet to, is obviously on deck. When you listen to Coach Satterfield talk, you do your homework, you talk to people that have coached against him and with him to kind of get a, a feel for his personality. And we listen to him at the presser. What kind of quarterback would you put in the lab – if you were going to build a Coach Satterfield QB? Uh, I think it's definitely a guy who's got a big arm. I think he likes to he likes to push the ball down the field when he gets an opportunity. He talked, you know, about needing to have the element of the quarterback run game just as something to fall back to if it's not working early on in terms of game call. So I think you want a little bit of mobility, but it doesn't have to be a burner. 
it doesn't have to be a guy that has to get 15 carries at value. So, and then I think accuracy is always important for any any quarterback. And so I think you look at those three things, um, it, it's certainly going to help them. I know I didn't describe a very complete picture, but I think those are kind of the traits that you start with and then you build out from there. So what do you think is best case scenario for the Huskers then? Um, would you say it's Casey watching from afar as he goes through rehab and then he steps back in? Or is it, you know, get Jeff Sims acclimated right away um, so that he can be the guy to lead this team next year? I think you kind of move forward with Sims because he's your healthy guy and you see where Thompson's at when he gets healthy. And if, if you're really lucky, you want those guys as a backup quarterback, and Nebraska's needed a backup quarterback every year since, what, 2014? So, I, you know, in the best of both worlds, you're going to need both of them. So, hey, so, Shafe, uh, quietly we talk about the, the depth that's happened over the offensive line how about a running back room of, like, Ives and Johnson, Allen, Irvin, Ramir, Grant, and you combine that with the upside of – and he's rapidly becoming one of my favorites. You know, I, it's weird what, I, what and who I gravitate towards for no particular reason. But a guy like Coach Barthel, who for all intents and purposes appears to be an up-and-comer, does that position excite you at all? I am interested to see what it looks like with a different offensive strategy. Mm. I want to know if Ramir Johnson is 2021 Ramir or better because I just feel like he had a really weird 2022. Um, I think he just was really interesting. I think the running back room is really interesting. But I don't know who's taking that job from a healthy A.J. Allen because that, it kind of starts for me there. And then you kind of build out. And Ramir, I'm really interested in. I think that could be an interesting one, too, right there. And that leaves out Anthony Grant, who comes back with like 900 yards rushing. Nebraska's added to their wide receiver room this week. They've added to their O-line. But what's next, Mike? In your mind, what is this team's biggest need? Is it tight end? Is it something else? Or is it a, a current uh, a position that just got filled? Maybe it's still O-line. Maybe it's still wide receiver. Your thoughts there? I think if they can go out and find another defensive lineman that can help them, I, I don't know anyone that would disagree that that's an area they still have to attack. I, if they could get more help at wide receiver, that'd be great. Uh, tight end, if you can get a veteran to, to kind of fill things out. I don't know that he needs to be flashy. I don't know that he has to be a big weapon. But, you know, you could use another tight end there. Those are kind of three spots that I'd be looking at. So, Shay, when we, we know about the, the wide receiver room maybe needing some more depth, all the, the announcements officially were, were made uh, yesterday through Nebraska's athletic department. We, you mentioned tight ends. So we got tight end, wide receiver. We think we're okay with O-line. Um, I don't know what you think about the edge rushers, but based on the hires and the announcements that were made yesterday versus the numbers that you see in these particular rooms, which room interests you the most in terms of growth? Oh, man. Uh, can I say all? <laughs> So you let, know, let development kind of been a thing for the last few years. Let, uh, let, let, let me let me let me let me, let me help. 
let me help you. Let me help you narrow it down, right? So whether you okay. think Nebraska plays a three-three-five, a four-three, or whatever, right? How? Because you know, Coach White wants to be versatile. So you got the edge spots really with Applegate and 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 Lenhard and Jamari Butler and and Blaze Gunnerson. Your your insides have Fields, Rogers, Seth Malcolm, Kapai, Snodgrass, Reimer, Henrich. So there's the linebackers. The tight ends we know. Uh, you got Androff, uh, Tagaloa for now, Fedone, Carney, Rollins, Hickman, and then the wide receiver room. Let's just focus on those three. Pick one. Uh, from a development standpoint, I'm curious what happens at inside linebacker. Yeah. You've got a couple of veterans in Reimer and Henrich that aren't going to be there for very long. So what do you got behind them? Mm. Where, you know, this is this is a guy that's coming in and, and Rob Dvorak, that's, that's a spot where you lost Ernest Hausman. You know, where's Seth Malcolm? Where's Randolph Kapai? Where's Mackay Bayer? You know, those guys, like, where are they? Because you're going to need some of them to step up this year, and you're going to need more of them to step up in the coming years. We're talking to Mike Schaefer, Nebraska football and recruiting for 24-7 sports. Mike, when, we, uh, when I asked you that last question in regarding uh, what you think their biggest need is, uh, a name that did pop up onto the list was Smith Flores down in Texas, the receiver mm-hmm. tight end that could be a, a very good recruit and has a lot of connection now to the most recent Bob Wager acquisition who is the tight ends coach at Nebraska. Looking at a guy like him who is a legacy-type player, a guy that uh, you know has a lot of connection to Iowa, uh, what did, what do you, how do you think Matt Rule let, – let me, actually, let me put it this way. How good of a job did Matt Rule do spreading out his options, grab, not only grabbing his guys, but grabbing guys from areas that he knew could get players that could eventually work in the Big Ten? Well, and and I think more than that, he went and got a coach in, in Coach Wager that, you know, has connections throughout the country because of his, his time as the Under Armour All-American Bowl Committee. Um, you know, he, he's very involved with that. And it's, it's one of those things where it, it could potentially help with this kid and his connections in Texas are going to help with other kids, but... You know, Matt Rule did a nice job in terms of, of finding a guy like that, that that can sort of help in some areas right away. He did it with Jimmy McGuire, and, and it really paid off. And I think we could see that there, too. It's interesting with guys like the Borchek and McGuire, you know, where are they going to end up recruiting? We've we've seen a lot of Philadelphia. We've seen, uh, we've seen some Texas. Like, where are these guys going to pop up? Because they... There's still some areas that I'm curious, like, who who takes over Missouri for this staff? Who's in Illinois for this staff? Who's mm. in Minnesota for this staff? Mm. Those aren't the biggest states, but they're states where Nebraska started to build, uh, you know, under Frost. Does that, kind of, does that kind of fall off, or does that, you know, expand? I mean, Missouri's really big. Shafe, you're you're going to attack that hard, but those other two will be interesting. Shafe, if we're just talking about um, the Big Ten, I kind of like how you said that with, Kind of the the radius, even though I I've mm-hmm. never been in love with and Shafe knows this, the five hundred mile radius, but it could be pretty critical with this staff because I definitely think it's an emphasis. And in the last couple of days in our household, 
you know, hearing from Michigan State, Minnesota, like schools that are coming here shortly. Is there a, are there a couple of teams? Shoot, Wisconsin last night. Are there a couple of teams in the Big Ten? Given the coaching changes, we've seen what's happened in Minnesota. We know what's going on in Wisconsin. Um, you know, Michigan State has just offered you know Christian Jones at Westside, and they've got T.J. Hollowell on staff, who's the former Husker who is going to do his due diligence in this state. Is there a is are there a school is there a school or schools that you think, huh? Given the direction they're moving, they have my interest when it comes to recruiting prowess locally. And you can't say K-State because they're out of the conference, and I think everybody's well aware of their prowess. So I think Minnesota was kind of positioning themselves to be that school, especially with what we saw with a bunch of Dickerson. Um, and then it kind of fell apart a little bit. Yeah. Iowa felt like it could be trending that way, and now it doesn't. So it does feel like there's a little bit of a void there. I'll be curious if Michigan State can actually make some hay. I know that that was a school that offered Daniel Cannon early, and Christian Jones now early. Yeah, they'll they'll um, be they'll be here Friday. Or it's going to be really interesting Thursday or Friday. Um, so there's there's just a lot you know happening there. Uh, I I would say I would lean a little bit towards what Wisconsin does with Luke Fickle. I think they could be kind of an interesting school. Hey, Mike, you know, before the show started, I sat down in my chair and I looked over at DB and I'm trying to come up with a poll question. And, you know, DB, known for being on the calls for some Husker games, at least as of late. And uh, the poll question I came up with was, if Walter Rouse picked up a fumble and ran it for a score, what would the catchphrase be? What would what could you hear DB saying, or should he say, Stop. based on these options? Stop. You ready? Stop. It's either take it to the Rouse, let's have a Rouse party, or the Rouse always wins. What do you think? Shafe uh, likes to, Shafe likes to wager. I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because I'm a degenerate? <laughs> hey, I am too, Mike. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Shane, I, what? Can see him saying that. I can see him saying he roused it. <laughs> Ooh, okay, like on a new little, one. Like on a little Fumbaruski. Shafe, let me let me get you out of here on this. You, you, Coach Rule says, hey, you know what, media? I trust you. I embrace you. I want you to come to a practice. What position group is Mike J. Schaefer going to watch on day one of spring football practice? The real answer is Michael Bruns tells me. <laughs> uh, but if I'm allowed... If I'm allowed to make my own decisions as a 35-year-old grown man, uh, I think I'm going to go watch the wide receivers because I, I want to know if there's something else there. Like I, I'm still kind of worried about that group. If, if Billy Kemp is all they get, do they got some young guys? You know, is, is Victor Jones Jr., is he going to be interesting? Where's Junior and Bonner at? And then, you know, pending on the win – you'll be able to see something he's got picked up in the 2023 class. Mm, I think we're sleeping on Marcus Washington. I really do. I like him. We could. We could be. Mike, thanks so much, man. We appreciate you. Go ahead, Shafe. Well, go ahead. He's really interesting. Appreciate it, guys. Oh, thanks, Shafe. Oh, thanks, Mike. That's Mike Schaefer, Nebraska football and recruiting for 24-7 Sports. Toss him a follow on Twitter at Mike J. Schaefer. I wonder where he was headed. He, he was – 
he's been everywhere. He's is he using emojis? He was, he was, do, and, he was and doing he was doing radio yesterday. He was doing radio this morning, and now he's just in the car, man. Like he's is he, is he truly is he our version of Mike Sauter? Is he a man of the people? Could be, you know, maybe he's just doing what the boss tells him, though, right? <laughs> that was <laughs> that's that's that was what funny. he was saying. <laughs> I, I love Bruncey too, so I'm staying out of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a neutral. I'm just a neutral uh, observer. Man, there. what do you think, though? I mean, I asked him this question because I really uh, was trying to think about this after Nebraska added Rouse last night. What is next? What is next for them? What is number one priority now? Is it still? A need that we've been talking about consistently, or is it something completely different? Um, well, from a number standpoint, although I do think something's going to shake out, from a number standpoint, I could see where tight end makes you a little bit nervous. That was it for me. Is it continue? So, all right, you got like I said, you got you got you got Androff, you got Tagaloa, you got Thomas, Carney, Rollins, Hickman. You have no seniors. Now you have a, you have a couple of guys, I think that they're interested in in the portal. We'll see. Uh, you got a highly ranked recruit in state uh, for Nebraska that would be in the twenty twenty four class. I don't I don't think I don't know if that's the answer immediately because you have this year to play and and next year too. So you're thinking like the next two years. So can a Hickman stay healthy? What's the growth like for AJ Rollins? So I could see tight end being a discussion. I am also interested to see, depending on how they line up, what happens with what I would call the edge or the outside linebacker spot because there aren't a ton of names outside of Lenhart, Applegate, Butler, and Gunnarsson, right? And, and so I know we make too much of the four, like the numbers – is it three down linemen? Mm-hmm. Is he in a five technique at the D tackle spot? Is where's my next three? Is is it is it a nickel wheel? Is it a big nickel to make five? You know, sometimes we get into that too much. But those edge guys that bring pressure, that's that's it for me. And I think Coach Dvorak, depending on how they split it up, like is that second level all gonna be manned by one guy? It sounds like it. But Coach White, who's probably my my second most interesting guy, I'd like to sit down and have a ginger ale with, um, behind EJ. Um, depends on how they want to play. Right. So I look at those outside guys. Yeah, you know, for me at the tight end position, I you always aspire to have a Brock Bowers on your team, right? That you're hoping for that guy that can just be because tight ends are so hard to come by. When it comes to well, they become they great production. They're back in vogue too, right? right? The last four or five years, watching Kelsey and Kittle mm-hmm. and and all these guys, because I think when I first started this job in in media and radio, it was where did the tight ends go? Right. And Gronk kind of made it cool, and then all of a sudden these There's young just guys. There's a huge gap in between the great ones. And now and I the think it's ones. now I think it's cool to to now I think it's cool to to come back and be a tight end again. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that whoever quarterbacks this offense 
could greatly use. I mean, you get a guy that can block at the line if need be, because if you're going to use a fullback, a traditional type which, fullback, which, which they I don't think they won't, which they won't. But even if you line somebody up in a fullback spot, it'd be nice to have a tight end that can also do some blocking up front yeah. and then break off. Is it, is it run action? So, you know, you always start with offensive install uh, with your core running plays, right? Is it zone? Is it power? Is it sweep? Is it uh, you, like you, you just have – there's usually about – you have your counter game or your gap game. You have power, like however you want to install it. I wonder what Nebraska's core three or four pet run schemes will be because that will tell me how they utilize tight ends and fullbacks or the position of a lead blocker. Let's just say that. Let's not say fullbacks. Let's say a lead, lead blocker, blocker in the backfield. You know, and – Interesting that you brought up Applegate's name when you were mentioning defensive line. That's a name that popped up on Sam McEwen's watch list for potential fullback. Tell like you what. Just, just a name to throw out because he was just picking and choosing from the roster. That was the one defensive player that he turned offense for that I'm, point. I'm officially logging on to the Homer Network. I am. Full disclosure. Especially his junior year. Senior year, a lot, I think, was happening with that Southeast team in terms of how their season was going. But Jake's junior year, Applegate, ODB was a huge fan of his versatility. Like, and not a fake tough guy either. And you like I'm, – I'm, I'm kind of – I like him as a – I like him as an athlete, well, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, coach, I'm gonna cheer for him. You like players that give it their all, and, and one of I'm just watching him on film. I'm like, he could play here, he could mm-hmm. play here, he could play here. Versatility, and I, and again, not don't know what happened his senior year, but I do know he's capable. That's for gosh darn sure. Hey, stick around. We'll talk NFL next with Mike Tannier and follow it up with Brian Edwards to close out the show. All of that coming your way. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. I mean, I think it's the same approach that we've taken every single week. Um, you know, obviously, we try to we try to win every single game that we play in. This is no different. Um, we just know that, you know, it's it's win or go home. And um, you know, there might be a little bit more attention to detail, but again, this is the the standard that we set for ourselves, and Coach McDermott sets for ourselves at playoff caliber. Now that we're here, it's championship caliber. So. Um, there's always going to be that just little little up in effort or attention to detail because, again, like guys don't want to go home. You know, we're playing for each other. We love each other, and, um, you know, we've got a job to do. Coffee and cream in the morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency, live from the H&H Chevrolet stage at Hale Varsity Club. Damon Benning, Andrew Rogers. We are live 590 AM ESPN in Omaha, 1480 ESPN Lincoln, live on YouTube, live on Twitter. You can catch us anywhere. Our reach is vast. Even John in Alaska is listening to the show right now. And... Rightfully so, because we're talking to Mike Tanier. He is our NFL guy when it comes to, uh, let's, let's just say the playoffs today. And uh, he's senior analyst for Football Outsiders. Mike, good morning. Good morning. If that was John, Josh Allen I was listening to, that exactly he should have mastered the art of saying nothing. He has mastered the quarterback art of saying absolutely nothing. So let's <laughs> great let's starting point. Let's stay right there because this yeah. I'm telling you full disclosure. I'm going to get into Mahomes and him being his own benchmark 
at the quarterback spot. But let me start with with Allen to kind of set it up. We keep we hear about hey MVP candidate. He can do it all. He's this multi-dimensional guy. They put a ton of pressure on him. And I know he's still young in his as his evolution at the quarterback spot, but how critical is it for you for him to get over the hump this year as close to a high-end favorite as the Buffalo Bills are? I don't know. If he crashes into Patrick Mahomes, that's just like Brady and Manning going at it. I, I don't really have a problem with that. If he makes the Super Bowl, that's a success. If he loses to you know the Eagles or 49ers or whoever in the Super Bowl, still a heck of a season for Josh Allen. I don't think Josh Allen has a lot to prove. Now, if he goes out there and lays an egg against the Dolphins, I'd be worried. If he has some three-interception game in a game they're supposed to win by two touchdowns, I'm worried. But Josh Allen has proved just about everything he has to prove. He's still growing. He's still overcoming some mistakes. But I'm not, I'm not looking at him to say, get past Mahomes or else I'm going to put you in some other tier. He's really arrived at that level. All right, so let me morph into to Patrick Mahomes because we got into this discussion, Andrew and I, yesterday about the level of importance for this playoff stretch for Mahomes. And really, he's become a victim of his own success. It, playing in conference championships, playing in Super Bowls. He's his own standard, which I think is what you strive for in sports. But having said that, is this year critical when you look at the value, and he's going to probably be the MVP, when we look at Mm -hmm. how he's valued versus the actual productivity of winning meaningful games? You know, that's one of those things that we talk about here but they don't talk about in Chiefs headquarters or in NFL circles. They don't say, well, you know, you lost another AFC championship game. That's what we do on our shows, you know, because we, we generate a little bit of a drama and a soap opera with that. But I'll say this about Mahomes. This year he's affordable in terms of his contract. Next year he's kind of affordable in terms of his contract. 2024 is when that, like, $60 million, I don't know what the number is, these crazy numbers kick in on that 10-year, half-billion-dollar contract he's on. So... I think from the Chiefs' standpoint, what they need is results this year, results next year. And that means, you know, AFC Championship, that means Super Bowl. Ideally, that means Super Bowl victory. And if in two years Patrick Mahomes hasn't given them that, then there's going to be some hard questions because his price tag and his value go up. Mike, let's move away from the guys that we know. How about the guys we don't know? Seven quarterbacks are making their first (laughs) career playoff start. I mean, what do you make of the backup plans teams are running with slash, you know, uh, Justin Herbert having his uh, first career playoff start? And uh, how competitive can those teams be when you have to face teams that have their superstar quarterbacks awaiting? Let's see. Skylar Thompson, Dolphins, they're done. Uh, <laughs> Brock Purdy, they can do anything with that key because Brock Purdy is, you know, propped up behind the wheel of a student driver car. And he pushes buttons, and George Kittle and Debo's coming back, and Christian McCaffrey's going to take care of business for him in the defense. Well, I think both Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert are phenomenal young quarterbacks. They're on the start of the journey. And I think in terms of the Ravens, they're in this weird situation with Lamar Jackson. Tyler Huntley, the backup, is hurt. I think they could win a game with Tyler Huntley. Let's put it that way. If they're going out there with Anthony Brown again, that's like going out wow. there with Skylar Thompson. The Ravens are going to be a one-and-done situation as well. And in terms of the Eagles, the sky's the limits with Jalen Hurts. He's one of those guys on the rise, like Herbert, like Trevor Lawrence. So you think the Ravens can beat the Bengals without Lamar Jackson? If Tyler Huntley is there, if they play their A game, if their defense steps up, yes. I believe it's 
possible. I wouldn't. I would call the Bengals favorites. <laughs> but the issue right now is it sounds like Tyler Huntley is going to be limited if he plays, or it's going to be Anthony Brown. That changes the dynamic. There's a big difference between a veteran backup and a rookie third stringer, and the Ravens are crashing into that in the playoffs. What's the quote? So you're telling me there's, <laughs> there's a, a chance. chance. Mike, let me ask you something, because just listening to you, it's fascinating. This is why he's, he's one of the best in the business. I'm going to get back to the quarterbacks. And you're not going to settle a debate, but I'm curious to get your vantage point. We got into this discussion of the prowess of Herbert meeting the production in terms of meaningful wins versus <laughs> I keep hearing he's like the, the you know the caliber of Herbert. It's like you think this guy is has won a ton of playoff games, but he has yet to. Versus a guy like Kirk Cousins, who's been extremely consistent on a on a on a team that's won a lot of close games, yet he's off maligned. Let me ask yep. you: Are you taking in this playoffs? Are you taking more trust in Herbert's performance or Kirk Cousins? In the first round, I'm taking more trust in Kirk Cousins. It's a beatable <laughs> opponent. He doesn't have to do a lot. If he's just managing the structure of the game and the defense is going to shut down Daniel Jones and the Giants, I have more faith in Cousins, whereas the Chargers are full of inexperienced people going out there. The whole Herbert thing is weird. Very much We can all see the upside and the talents and the traits. And there are some pacemakers on the Internet who then leapt over a couple of steps along the way, you know, jumped up five steps along the way and say, oh, he's Josh Allen. I want to see Herbert overcome some adversity. I'd like to see him win this playoff game or at least have like a 42-38 shootout with Lawrence. I need to see more things like that before I anoint him top five or top six or whatever. That ever that said, if you ask me who I want next year as my quarterback, I want Justin Herbert, not Kirk Cousins. That's not even a question <laughs> in terms of what they are capable of doing and the upside they possess. Hey, as we keep the conversation with quarterbacks here, I'm going to bounce back to the Ravens for a moment. Do you think Lamar Jackson has played his last game in Baltimore? A couple of weeks ago, I would have said no. Now it feels like there is a serious rift, serious poison, toxicity in terms of how both teams are doing this. I don't understand the communication level between Jackson and the team in terms of his injury. If he is protecting himself, making a business decision, I think it's too late for that. That's something you do for a game. That's not something you do in a playoff game, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That said, what I think will happen is that the team will franchise tag him and say, okay, Lamar, it's your move. We still possess the rights to you. We're not just going to make you a free agent. There is no galaxy in which that makes sense for us. We want to retain your rights. And then if you want to try to talk trade, we'll talk trade. Problem is Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent, doesn't have somebody representing him in a trade. Very weird, very unusual situation. So I would say let's go with 50-50. Mike, Ravens are going to part ways with Lamar Jackson wow. sometime in the offseason. Mm. Mike, uh, best job available, and would you give up a first-round pick for Sean Payton? I would not give up a first-round pick for either. Sean Payton. I don't know what his real enthusiasm is for doing a rebuild. And what his real enthusiasm is for coming back and just being part of the grind and doing this thing and being the emperor of an organization. That legitimately worries me. And I don't want to get into a bidding war with, say, the Rams once McVay leaves. I don't want to get into a bidding war with the Broncos and all these teams have Walmart money behind them, et cetera. Mike. The job I would like is the Carolina Panthers. Interesting. They have a great offensive line. They've got good defensive pieces. They've got DJ Moore. 
young owner who seems like a reasonable owner who's not going to be really hands-on and goofy. You go in there, you draft Good cap number. You get your one rebuilding year, and then you're competing in 2024. I'm a coaching candidate. I'm talking to Tepper. I'm talking to the Panthers. And I want to see what they're going to put on the table for me. Mm. Mike, 48 seconds here. I just need one team name said. Who wins the Super Bowl? Mm. Kansas City Chiefs. All right. There I, it is. I think they're the best team. I, I, Mike, I feel, no, I feel bad. I need a shower. I said the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC, and they have Mahomes, and I still took the Bills. I didn't feel good about it. <laughs> Mike, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. That was a lot of fun. Always a pleasure. Take care. Enjoy the playoff games. Thanks, hey, Mike. That's Mike Tanier on Twitter, T-A-N-I-E-R. And we have more NFL talk coming up with Brian Edwards because he likes some plays for Super Wild Card Weekend. We will get into that and give you some of the best plays next on Coffee and Cream here on Hale Varsity Radio. Coffee and Cream with Rodgers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. Hey, back with you on Hale Varsity Radio. It's Coffee and Cream. Do you have car trouble or are in need of an auto repair, anything like that? you need to head over to Dingman's Collision Center. They've been in the business for over 25 years in Omaha. DBs used them before. I know I'll end up hitting something and have to go to Dingman's at some point. They are family-owned, family-run local business. They invest in the latest technology to stay up to date with the ever-evolving technology of what cars are today. Work on all makes and models from Fords to Teslas. Four locations throughout the metro area along with a standalone mechanical shop at 120th and Maple. They were voted first place Best of Omaha for 18 years running. If you need some help, go to Digman's Collisions Center. They can hook you up. And I know for me, if we're talking in a figurative sense, I got a little dinged up last night sports betting. Oh, I did have something that <laughs> saved my night. <laughs> But now I can get exact plays, exact W's, because we're talking to Brian Edwards. What's up, Brian? What's going on, guys? Good morning. Great to hear from good, you. Good, at good morning, B. B. Edwards on Twitter. And uh, you have some options for Super Wild Card Weekend, and it's a super weekend because we're making some money, hopefully. Right, Brian? Correct. Um, <laughs> I, you, you know, I think we can uh, – we can bet the Niners, I think, really any way that you want. My, my favorite way to bet the 49ers this week is uh, their team total, their team total over 13 and a half in the first half, which has gone uh, six and two in their last eight games. By halftime, they've had 21, 14, 14 again, 28, 17, and 17 again. The two outliers were seven and 10, but Against Seattle at home earlier this year, they were up twenty to nothing at halftime. And when they played at Seattle on a short week, they were up fourteen to three at halftime. So I'm not against the Niners in the first half, um, and I'm certainly not against them for the game as well. Um, I've got a little on them in the game, and uh, I've got more on the team total over thirteen and a half in the first half. But I think their team total for the game will go over as well which is in that 25-26 range. So, um, yeah. B, a lot of – even Minnesota fans aren't loving this Minnesota team, and maybe that's just the Minnesota yeah. Vikings fan nature. Uh, but laying just the key number against the Giants, and I think Dable 
is definitely in the top three discussion for coach of the year, and the Giants have way maximized. But just three, who do you trust? Daniel Jones' locker? Or you like that, huh? Kirk Cousins. (laughs) I'm going with Minnesota here, but you're right. Dayball's done a great job. Uh, Jones has had a good year. He deserves to get re-signed. And and, and kudos to the Giants uh, for a good season. But, you know, a lot of people have doubted Minnesota all year, called them a fraud, et cetera. They've been really good to me. I've bet them, especially at home, a bunch of times. So they're 8-1 and one straight up at home, uh, the only loss being to Dallas, that nightmare game they had the week after they got the upset win at Buffalo. Um, and in their eight home wins, they've won all of them by at least three. They've won their first six by four or more. Their last two have been by three each, but that would be fine. That would be a push. Um, you know, they only won by three to the Giants uh, on December 15th. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Minnesota minus three. By the way, Cousins lit them up 34-48, 299 yards, three touchdowns without a pick in that first meeting against the G-Men. But I also like the over as well, uh, which is 48. Uh, the over's on a 5-2-1 and one run for the Giants in their last eight games. All of those combined scores on the five overs got to 48 uh, minimum. And the over is on a 6-1 and one run for the Vikings, who are next to last, number 31 in the NFL in total defense and pass defense. So I'm going to go over 48 in Minnesota minus three. But let me be clear for money management purposes. Both of those plays are smaller than my plays on the Niners and on the Bengals, which we can discuss next. Yeah, you know, we'll get into that right now because we just got done talking to Mike Tanier, and he said that if Tyler Huntley plays, he could see the Ravens winning this game. Like, there is a possible scenario in his head, but obviously you don't think so because you're taking the Bengals minus seven. Well, the line has moved to eight or eight and a half since, like mid late yesterday afternoon when Lamar Jackson didn't play and it, it seems almost I mean I know he hadn't been officially ruled out but it seems highly unlikely that he'll play so I bet it at six and a half and seven um but it, I don't recommend it at eight or eight and a half I, I have too much respect for the Ravens but I do think it you know if you didn't get it at six and a half or seven I think you're okay doing a teaser or a money line parlay with the 49ers um, yeah, I think the Bengals are automatic in a teaser. Um, they've won eight in a row, seven zero and one against the spread. Um, I've got them an eleven to one to win the Super Bowl. Even with these O line injuries, I still think they're going to win the Super Bowl. And I'm not against playing them if you can get nine to one. And I think most folks are at nine to one right now. Um, I just don't see anybody stopping Joe Burrow. And although I do respect the Ravens. Um, I don't see them pulling the upset. I think the Bengals win by at least seven. So did you get that play in before the line moved, or did you buy points? Oh, yeah. I, I, I got some uh, at six uh, early in the week and some at six and a half. And yesterday I got a little more uh, yesterday morning at seven, just anticipating that Lamar Jackson wouldn't practice and the line would move above seven like it did. Um, I'm actually coming back with a small amount of uh, the Ravens plus eight and a half just a baby play, just quasi-hedge, hoping the Bengals win by seven. But, I, I mean, I'll be fine if they win by three touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you would. B, is there, a, is there a, a dog of three or more that you like that you'd grab a taste of the money line 
I, I know. I have a feeling you're going to say Tampa. <sighs> you know, I, I uh, is that one Monday night? That's the Monday yeah. That's game, the sixteenth. Yep. Yeah, I'm just going to let see see where my chips fall on my bigger bets for the weekend before I decide anything on that one. Maybe um, that I know you like the works with both teams. Yeah. You know, da- Dallas is really struggling, and uh, Tampa Bay's been bad all year. They've been a little better here the last couple of weeks. But um, I don't trust either team is my point. Most likely to pull the upset at home, Jacksonville or Tampa? Oh, I got to go with Tampa there. Brady, Mike Evans, uh, pretty solid defense. Uh, Yeah, I got to go Tampa there. I don't trust the Jags at all. You've made a lot of money on them over the years. Played good for two months. <laughs> Isn't do you have to, have you had to change your course of thought because you had the great nickname for Jacksonville? They made you a ton right. of money over the last few years. Have you had to kind of change course? Yeah, I haven't been fading the Jags as much uh, this year. I had a big bet on the Ravens when the Ravens blew that big lead in Jacksonville, and uh, I haven't. I don't know that I've faded them since then. Bob, man. Hey, Brian, let's change gears here to basketball. Let's look at the NBA uh, tonight in particular. Um, You have the Thunder 76ers, which is a game that's on your radar. The Thunder, of course, coming off of a loss where a team scored 40 free throws on them, which was insane the other night. Um, But they are a high-scoring team. So in this game, do you like the over again? Yeah, I'm going to go over on OKC Philadelphia. It's up to 233. I got it at 231, but I'm good with it up to probably 234, maybe even 235. The over's hitting five straight for OKC. The over's hitting five straight for Philadelphia, and it's on a 14-4 and run uh, in the Sixers' last 18 since December 2nd, and their last four combined scores have been 263, 234, 238, 255. Got Joel Embiid back the other night, and he had a big game. I think this one flies over. Mm. I got buddies going to the Bulls-Warriors game in Chicago this weekend, and with no DeMar DeRozan, uh, do you think uh, betting the Bulls is a good idea because that's what they're still leaning, (laughs) despite DeMar possibly being out? Well, Golden State's been so horrible on the road, and even though they're now healthy, they didn't look very good the other night and losing to that short-handed Phoenix team. So if the Bulls are getting points uh, and everybody else is healthy, yeah, I I wouldn't be against uh, the Bulls as home dogs if if they're dogs. There you have it. Thanks, B. Brian Edwards, thanks so much. We'll talk again soon. All right, gentlemen, thanks for having me. Y'all have a great weekend. Hey, you too, and hopefully we win some money, and uh, you guys out there win some money too, courtesy of at Vegas B. Edwards on Twitter. Um, out of all of those plays that you heard, do you, do you love one of your own more than Edwards here on Super Wild Card Weekend? I, I, I kind of like the Giants, even though. Really? Yeah, because it's too easy to take Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Key number at home. Um, I kind of like I kind of like the Giants, but they could either fall I mean, flat I'm just on their more... face offensively. Or their defense could help lead them to a win. And it's weird because Minnesota would be – is it obviously it's my NFC dark horse, right? Just like the Chargers right. are my AFC dark horse. And I mean true dark horse because not a lot of people like either team. But 
Uh, I just don't like. It's one of those things where when I saw the number, I was like, "Gosh, that's kind of weird." It's too easy to take the team that's clearly has the better record that wins close games. It's only it's only a key number. I don't know. Kind of has has a little bit of Giants written all over it. Your Jaguars Chargers game has a lot of juiciness to it, and I say yours because you've been high on the Chargers since like week eight. Yeah, the number doesn't seem right. Two and a half. You know, I. Tricky. That's why it's always good to be a spectator. I love being a spectator, but more times than not. Like, I was a spectator for the national championship game, uh, and I loved it because I didn't have to worry about yeah. anything. Like, I saw touchdowns go. I saw um, – You just were worried about low. the difference wow. between 73 and TCU. 72. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Still expecting that breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna yeah, let you yeah. go on that. Oh, yeah. it's shoot. coming! Shoot, it's coming. Hey, and you know what else is coming? More from us. Go to Herdat Sports. Find Morning Dump. That's where we'll be next. But for coffee and cream, we'll see you tomorrow.